So when I was about uh, eight years old, I was at a summer camp with my brother and we went there for the summer all day during the day because both my parents worked and and so that was just their way of making sure we were obviously okay. You can't leave an eight-year-old and a six-year-old at home alone, right? So I was at camp and I remember this one time, this one day when I was at summer camp where I was playing baseball. Don't know what Craig was doing. Um, and I was next up to bat. And I don't know what I was thinking. In fact, I clearly wasn't, but <laughs> I was next up to bat and I started walking towards home plate before the guy before me was done, before he had hit and gone onto a base or gotten out or struck out or whatever it was. And I start walking closer and I'm just not paying attention. And what I remember next is this glimpse of the end of a bat coming around this guy as he's swinging it and towards me. It totally clipped me right across the nose and I got the bump still to this day to show for it. Clips me across the nose and moves my nose, frankly, over. Um, it was clearly busted, clearly broken. I, I start bleeding and the camp counselors, they grab me and they take me inside and they put some ice on it and they won't let me see a mirror for obvious reasons. I'm an eight-year-old and I'm panicked and hurt, right? And they call my mom and my mom gets there and my first question to my mom is, Mom, is my nose broken? And my mom, uh, loving me so much, said, Well, I don't know for sure, um, <laughs> but why don't we just... Get, keep the ice on you and get you to the doctor and let them decide. Now, clearly it was broken. And as a parent now, I now understand my mom was just trying to keep me from absolutely blowing a gasket because believe it or not, I was a bit of a dramatic child. I know that's going to surprise you. But so she gets me to the doctor and off we go. But the question really I was asking my mom was less about whether or not my nose was broken. Yes, that's the immediate thing. But ultimately, as I looked at my mom, the woman I know who loves me, and cares for me and watches over me and whose opinion at this point in my life I probably value more than anybody else's in the world and I'm asking her am I all right right am I going to be okay because at the end of the day that's what I really want to know I think that's a question we ask ourselves anytime we go through something traumatic or difficult right if you if you trip my wife says if she trips and she falls and and falls to the ground the first thing she does before she moves or gets up is what she calls a systems check it's this top to bottom body like is my head all right are my shoulders all right elbows all right legs all right all right, all right. i'm all right i can get up i can go on about my day i will be fine it's kind of this evaluation am i all right sometimes when we come out of a trauma in our lives we're asking ourselves Am I all right? You know, am I, am I going to be okay? When will things get back to normal? If you've been in a fight with someone who's significant to you, um, you're going to ask near the end of that discussion, ask yourself and maybe even ask them, are we all right? Right? With my nose, it was, am I all right? Am I going to survive? With the trauma, it's, am I all right? When will life be normal again? With a, a relationship, it's, am I all right? Or is this done irreparable damage to our relationship, right? With a spouse, it's, do you still love me? Or with a parent, it's are, maybe a little bit of, are you still proud of me, right? Or are you still willing to call me your son? Because um, little kids don't know any better sometimes, right? Or is it, with a boss, it's, you've had an argument. Is it, are we all right? Do I still have a job? The question, and it's a question that lingers with us sometimes in our relationship with God. Am I all right with him? 
if I had a nickel for every time I've had somebody who was nearing the end of their life ask me, am I going to be all right? And asking me to give them that answer. Oof. Even people who have known the Lord their entire lives, I see them ask this question, am I all right with God? And the implication is, if I'm not, how can I be all right? How can I fix that? How can I make that okay? It's a question that Paul attempts to address in our continuing study in the book of Galatians today, where the people of God are searching for a way to be all right with God, and yet going about it all the wrong way. So let's figure out what it means to be all right with the Lord, to be all right with Jesus Christ, and to, and to be in a good place with Him, and let's figure out what it's not. So if you would, turn to Galatians chapter 2. Remain Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 through 21 today. We're going to read it and go over it in two parts. Um, I'm going to read out of the NLT, the New Living Translation. So follow along with me. Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 through 18. It says this, You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners, in quotes, like the Gentiles. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ, and then we are found guilty because we have abandoned the law. Would that mean Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I am a sinner if I rebuild the old system of law. I have already torn down. The people in God and Galatia are doing something. They're adding to the gospel of Jesus Christ by rebuilding what they've already known. Right? If we remember back to the beginning of our study in Galatians, when we were talking about the fact that the people of God that Paul is speaking to here are largely Messianic Jews, Jews that have come to know Jesus, and they are struggling, or at least are being accosted by a group of people called Judaizers that are trying to convince them that you first have to be Jewish before you can know God, right? And you first have to follow all of these laws and regulations and expectations in addition to the gospel before you can be all right with God. You would think they would know better than that, right? If they've been God's people for literally since the beginning of time, since they were called by God through Abram, who he renamed Abraham, you would think they'd have it figured out. This is not how this works, right? That, that just crossing all my T's and dotting all my I's and doing everything according to the checklist isn't going to make me all right with God. And yet they're willing to listen as these Judaizers try to convince them that they are wrong, that they need to lean back into that. Remember several years ago, 10 now, and let's, let's hope it's, it's longer than that the next time I tell this story, um, uh, was the last time I got a speeding ticket. And it was in the scenic town of Earl, Arkansas. I should knock on wood real quick. Um, in Earl, Arkansas. It's, it's a wonderful little town, actually. Um, but we were driving through, and we drove through that town tons and tons of times over the, the few years we lived in Arkansas. And as we moved, went back and forth between Indianapolis and Columbus and, and Searcy, Searcy, Arkansas. And we knew that this town was a speed trap. We knew it. It was, there were rumors that uh, <laughs> the police department actually hired people police officers from other police departments on their days off to come and help 
run this speed trap 24 hours a day to catch people as they were driving through Earl too fast. So we knew this. And so we get to the edge of Earl and you set your cruise at 45. That's just what you do. You set your cruise at 45 and you drive all the way through Earl until you get out the other side because there's probably somebody watching you. Well, in a move very similar to this baseball bat maneuver, <laughs> um, I stopped paying attention about 100 feet from the 55 mile an hour sign on the east side or the west side of the town. And <laughs> I started to accelerate. And by the time I got to the sign, I was doing 55. And you know what happens next. Blue lights in my, in my rear view mirror. And the guy pulls me over. And he says to me, first things he says to me is, hey, I got to ask you a question. You were doing 45. You were obeying the law to the letter all the way through until you got to the end of town and then you sped up. And there was a little part of me that wanted to say, well, look, if you knew I was trying to obey the law, why? Why would you bust me now? But that's irrelevant, right? That's, that's his job, frankly, is to enforce the law. But the law, the driving law, the, the speed law in this case, is really really just a benchmark that's designed to create a different outcome. It's not, it's not designed to pad the police department's budget, right? As much as we hear those rumors still to this day, it's the end of the month. They're going to write more tickets. It's not what it's about. It's about maintaining a level of safety to make driving in Earl safer. The, the point of the law is not to keep the law. The law is trying to point us in a certain direction, but it's, its end goal is not the law in and of itself, right? It's to remind us what driving safely is all about. That's why, and if you need proof of that, ask yourself, have you ever been pulled over by an officer to reward you for not speeding? Where he wrote you a thank you card or gave you a gift card to Starbucks and said, great job, you, you stuck to the law, you didn't break the law today. No, because that's not the point of a traffic law. Right? The law is not the end goal. The safety is the end goal. And so uh, the law has, has a purpose. It has a role. It's designed to be a benchmark, to be a sign, to help us see what's going on. In this case, God's law is the same way. It's designed to help us see who our God is and who he desires his people to be in so many ways. But keeping it is not the end goal. It is simply a mechanism by which we understand further who our God is and what he desires from us. One theologian says it this way. He says, the point of the law is that the law is the light that reveals how dirty a room is, right? As we walk, we walk into it and turn on the light, it's not the broom that sweeps it clean. And yet the people of God here have done historically and are in Galatians and quite frankly, do it again repeatedly is to treat the law as a means to sweep the room clean, to become all right with God. The problem is that that adds something to the gospel, and it's not a good thing. For some, uh, it adds back, this adding the law back into the gospel creates this sense of inadequacy that comes with it, because the truth is, just like me and the 45 miles an hour, um, that was me clearly not paying attention. And I don't know about you, but... I don't know anybody who pays attention to everything they ever do or say all day, all the time, that's in such a way that they would never do anything that would ever violate God's law ever. They never get angry when they shouldn't, that they never say something they shouldn't, that they never do something without thinking like 
break a traffic law without, I don't know anybody who's that perfect, except for Jesus, but no one is that perfect. And so what that can do is give us a sense of inadequacy. I will never be good enough. If to be all right with God is, is more than just faith in Jesus, if it's making sure that I'm following all those rules to the letter, I know plenty of people that feel like if they mess up, if they make a mistake, if they slip, uh, even for a day or a minute or even for years, that they suddenly feel like they're inadequate. They will never be good enough. They cannot possibly be all right with Jesus Christ. They cannot return to him. But the Savior recognizes, Jesus knows we're inadequate. And, and his goal is to save us from our inadequacies and our sins. And, and let's be clear, as one theologian says, inadequacy is not the same thing as being sinful. We have more control over the choice we to sin than we may have over our innate capacity. That is to say that we are limited. We can only do so much. We will make a mistake. We mil- will mess up. And adding the law or a set of expectations as our test for whether or not we are all right with God, or are we doing everything perfectly, right? And if you're following the law to the letter perfectly, that's what you're doing. You're doing everything exactly as God would want it and never making a mistake. Which, by the way, Jesus said, you can come to God that way. But it's impossible. What's the implication? You can't do it. And adding this back to the gospel, to the gospel of grace, to the gospel of truth, ignores something. It ignores the reality that we will never be adequate. And that's okay, because Jesus is. So if you're feeling like you're just not good enough, to follow Jesus or just not good enough to be all right with him, don't do that to yourself. At least don't don't convince yourself that you are inadequate for him. He knows you're inadequate and he says, I love you anyways. For others, adding the law back into the gospel or this set of guidelines or expectation of perfection back into the gospel creates a sense of control that we crave as though we're going to be able to get to heaven and the proverbial St. Peter is going to be at the pearly gates going, why should I let you into heaven? And we say, well, because I tithed every week. I showed up at church every week. I um, followed this law, this rule, this expectation. I lived out the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control most of the time because it would be most of the time, if we're honest with ourselves. And so we're going to be able to get to the pearly gates and give him this list. And and he's going to say, okay, I can see that. You followed all the rules. Great job. You're in. It, 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 it returns this idea to us. If we add this back to the gospel, this idea that we have the capacity to set our own standard for what is all right with God and what is not all right with God. Because in what we do is we do things like we limit our standard of commitment. We follow the rules, no more and no less, right? If you look at Luke chapter 21, uh, verses 1 through 4, he tells, he sees actually two different people putting money into the, the tithing at the temple, to tithing at the temple. And he sees a rich man throwing in some change, an abundance of change, tons of money. And then he sees a few seconds later, a widow walk in and give up 
the last two coins that she has. She says, he says about the rich man, hey, look, he's giving out of his abundance. But hers, her gift, her commitment that she is demonstrating here is far more righteous than his because she's giving out of all she has because essentially she knows that life comes through the Lord. It demonstrates that she is fully committed. She is all in for him and not holding anything back. Adding the law to the gospel also give us, gives us this idea that we can control our exposure to God's call to change. Have you ever seen or ever played hide-and-seek with a two-year-old? It's kind of funny, right? You tell them to go hide, and you put your hands over your eyes, and they go and run around the corner and stand behind the couch. They may even be watching you because they're trying to make sure that they can move or something. Right? Or, or they're laying on the ground and they're half covered and their feet are sticking out. And you could tell they are there. It is absolutely futile for that two-year-old to hide from you. Adding to the gospel gives us the illusion that we, we can do the same thing with God, that we can control sections of our lives that we don't need to change because God can only see the things that we want him to see because we're following all the rules. We're showing up at church. That covers me. I'm, I'm tithing. That covers me. I pray once a, once a day at dinner. That covers me, right? I'm, I'm, I'm acting as though I've made something to cover myself, right? So that those other things that maybe I don't want to change, God can't see. It didn't work with the two-year-old. It didn't work for the Galatians, and it doesn't work for you and I. There's nothing we can hide from God. We need his grace. There's no set of laws, rules, or guidelines that's going to justify us, and that's what it means to be made right. If you look in a lot of other translations, the word is justified or justification. It's to be made right. None of those things are going to make you right in and of themselves. Let's keep reading and pick up in verse 19 of our text today. It says, when I tried to keep the law, because I'm not perfect, it condemned me. And so I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all of its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. According to a third century rabbi, Moses gave 365 prohibitions and 248 positive commands. David, King David, then reduced them to 11 in Psalm 15. Isaiah reduced them again to, to merely 6 in Isaiah chapter 33. Micah, in Micah 6 chapter 8, binds them to three commands. And Habakkuk reduces them to one great statement. The just shall live by faith. Faith, living by faith, means giving all that we have to him, not just what we are willing to give to him. Living by faith means removing the limitations we place on God to change our capacity, to change us, and to change others. And living by faith means following the laws of God, not so we don't get in trouble, or so that we are all right with him, 
but out of gratitude that Jesus has already paid the fine. To be all right with God is to live by faith in Jesus Christ. To do otherwise is to reduce his grace to an anecdote. My hope and my prayer is that as you leave this this lesson today, is that you will ask yourself, am I living by faith? Am I trusting that whatever God is calling me to is the right thing or am I second guessing him? Am I trying to meter out my relationship by saying, if I just hit all the checkpoints, my relationship with God is good. It'll be all right. And I can get to heaven and tell him my list and it'll be okay. Or, or, or am I saying, God, this is all yours. This is all yours. My life is yours because your son gave his life for me. And all I need to be right with you is to live in faith that he is who he says he is and that my sins are paid for. And guess what? You will take care of the rest. How freeing is that? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he grant you favor and give you peace. God bless.